What are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? And why does God refer to his people as stewards of the mysteries of God? Is there some level of responsibility that we need to ascend to? Find out on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. You and I, as blood-washed, born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have received hundreds, over a thousand names and titles that indicate who we are, what our inheritance is, and what our responsibilities are as children of the Most High God, and what our destiny is, how it's unfolding from time to eternity. It's an amazing resource. It's a vein of gold in God's Word to find out who God says you are and then to boldly repeat it and say, I am who God says I am. And that will awaken that spirit man inside of you to fulfill the roles God has given you. I'm going to focus our attention on this episode on a name given to us one time in Scripture. Just one verse out of the Bible contains a wealth of revelation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, where Paul writes these words to the Corinthian church. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're going to focus on that last title, Stewards of the Mysteries of God. First, we have to be servants of Christ. That means we're surrendered to his authority and ready to obey his every command. But those who have a true passion to serve God are then lifted to the next level where they share his authority. A steward is not just a servant. A steward is a trusted person who shares the authority of the one he serves. And that's what it means. What is a steward? A steward is a trusted manager, an overseer over another man's affairs or goods. You would never put someone in a position like that that was not proven to be faithful. And so a lot of the trials you go through in life are testing your faithfulness so that you can move from the status of being just a servant to a steward. And then you become, and this is the mind-boggling thing, a trusted manager, an overseer, not over another man's resources and possessions and affairs, but you and I have been called to be managers of God's affairs in the realm of time. Can you even think of anything more profound than that? And can you think of a responsibility even heavier than that? Of course you can. But it's part of bearing the yoke. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And he also said, occupy till I come. Well, what was he talking about? He was in a position of stewardship. 
where he came into the world to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that was his position as the voice piece, the oracle of God. But then he vacated this world physically, at least, and he told you and I to occupy until he comes. That means that we are occupying the position he vacated to be the light of the world, to be instruments through which God could change culture, change society, change people's lives, change this world for the better. And we have an arsenal of information that is radically life-changing, and it involves specific revelations in specific mysteries. Now, what is a mystery? A mystery is a significant, unique, and valuable spiritual or religious truth that was previously veiled and hidden and not understood, but is now revealed and proclaimed. So we are called of God to proclaim mysteries that have been unveiled to us, and we should never underestimate the value of knowing the mysteries of God, knowing the mysteries that very few people have understood, especially up until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about the word mystery? In the Greek, it comes from the word mysterion, which also is from the word muo or muo, M-U-O, that strangely, ironically means to shut the mouth. To shut the mouth. The word mystery comes from a word that means to shut the mouth. Why? Because only a select group of people are usually made privy to a mystery. But when Jesus came, the door blew wide open, and he said, whosoever will, let him come. And mouths that were shut became open to proclaim the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven in this world. Romans 16, 25, a powerful scripture says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. However, the Greek word translated world there is chronos. So it should really say since time began, which of course happened simultaneously. The world began approximately at the same time that time began. And so the revelation of the mystery was kept secret from the beginning. Even from Adam and Eve, they didn't understand the ongoing work of God that he knew would take place. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. The works of God were finished from the foundation of the world. We will ultimately enter into a kingdom that was uh, in the process of being created for us from the foundation of the world and that we've been chosen for. So the mystery was not secret to God but it was kept secret from the human race. Ask God why that's the case. Maybe human beings just were not ready to receive that divine revelation. Maybe they were not ready to respond to that revelation. 
because the crucifixion had not taken place, the resurrection had not taken place, the necessary things to prepare the heart for the inflow of the mysteries of the kingdom had not transpired in the realm of time. It is a mystery why God waited so long for that redemption to happen. And that's a mystery I'm not fully sure I understand. I have my concepts, my ideas, but um, there's so much yet to be unveiled when we get to heaven. Now, let me show you a powerful passage of scripture where Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, which if you want to understand this subject, is a necessary chapter to read. In Matthew 13, you have seven, some say eight, parables of the kingdom of heaven that are the beginning of the unveiling of this mystery in a very profound and powerful way. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to them in parables? So, they were questioning why Jesus used so many metaphors and similes and analogies and symbolic stories when he was speaking truth. Instead of just speaking in a very analytical way, in a very pragmatic way, just lining up these cold facts and hard truths, instead he spoke to them in parables. And they said, why do you speak to these massive crowds that were gathering in parables. And incidentally, the word parable comes from original Greek word that means to throw alongside. So you have a truth, and then you throw a parable alongside that truth in order to illustrate the meaning of that truth, to add beauty to it, to add meaning, to add depth, to add drama to it. There's a lot of reasons God speaks in metaphorical ways. It's the way the mind of God works. But there's also a reason for it, because Jesus said this to his disciples. They said, why do you talk this way? And he said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given, which is an amazing mystery within itself, that the ones who loved him, who followed him, even though they didn't fully understand everything he said. They had that inner compulsion, that choosing, that hand of God on their lives. He said, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. So parables are used for a dual purpose. First, to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, and second, to conceal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, depending on the receptivity of the heart of the person involved. Because if a person has a hard heart inclined toward sin, inclined toward the world, God is not going to cast pearls before swine. It's only going to be revealed to passionate lovers of God, to those who are willing to give their all to him because he gave his all to us. I don't have time in this short podcast episode to fully explore every one of these mysteries, but I want to mention the scriptural location and the revelation of one particular mystery uh, so that you can go there later on and really research it yourself. 
but we're going to touch on all the major mysteries. Beginning with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9, that says we should hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. We should hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And the word conscience comes from a word in the Greek that means to see completely, to see completely. And it actually means seeing things from God's perspective, seeing things from his point of view. And so we should hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. In other words, we should understand things from a heavenly perspective. What is the mystery of the faith? The faith means the sum total of all the principles of the new covenant that have brought us into this wonderful relationship with God and forecast the future destiny before us. The mystery of the faith involves every single line in the New Testament from Matthew all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, and then all the foundational truths that overflow from the Old Testament as well. They're all full of mysteries, and the mystery of the faith is the composite of it all, okay? And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul said, and for me, that he was asking for prayer instantly, he was asking the Ephesians to pray for him, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. See, not everyone is going to hear because not everyone's heart is open. Even though anyone can be saved, anyone can come, whosoever will let him come, only those who have an open-hearted attitude, a willingness to open the door and say, come in, Jesus, and take authority in my life, be enthroned in my soul, then they can hear what the Spirit has to say. And Paul said that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. And the gospel has been termed many ways, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of Christ, and numerous other expressions. It means the good news of what Jesus accomplished through his virgin birth, his sinless life, his vicarious sufferings where he took upon himself the burden of lost humanity and all of our sin debt and paid it off, praise God. And then he rose from the dead, shaking off the shackles of the curse of death so that you and I could boldly face death and know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and to know that ultimately we will have glorified bodies just like his. That's the gospel. That's good news. I don't have bad news to share. But it's a mystery because it's framed in such strange events and hard-to-comprehend ideas that many people reject it as being too foolish or too simple. But God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. And only those who really have a heart toward God are going to receive this grace of an awakening to understand and to comprehend and to receive the mystery of the gospel. 
If you understand the gospel, you should thank God that mystery has been unveiled to you. Now let's go another step, a step deeper in this wonderful inheritance. Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Paul talks about the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the Messiah in you, the hope of glory. So much could be preached just from that verse. The Messiah in you, the word Christ and the word Messiah are synonymous. They both mean the anointed one. And when the anointed one came in you, he turned you into an anointed one with a destiny that boggles the human imagination. You receive the hope of glory. That's glory in this life. You walk as a bearer of the glory of God, just like the priests in the Old Testament bore the Ark of the Covenant and they carried that holy container on which the glory of God rested from place to place. So also, as new covenant priests, you bear the glory of God. So that's a present inheritance, but your future inheritance is to be glorified in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the Bible said, in that day we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Jesus said that they may be one even as we are one. Father, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one. Can you imagine sharing with the Father the same oneness that Jesus, the firstborn son, experienced? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that's been hidden from ages and generations. Next, we go to Ephesians. And in chapter 3, verses 3 and 6, Paul talks about how that by revelation, God made known to him the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. See, the early church really was minded toward excluding the Gentiles. The book of Acts is not really an account of how the early disciples obeyed the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Instead, it shows how reluctant they were. Paul had, uh, uh, had to break the um, tradition of the Jews not intermingling with Gentiles. That was just something you didn't do. And then Jesus had to kind of, in a spiritual sense, twist Peter's arm to force him, to push him through a vision that compelled him to go to Cornelius's house. A Gentile. A Gentile. Jews didn't interact with Gentiles that much. They were behind the walls of Judaism and secure in the revelation of the Torah. And I think in a way they forgot the bottom line of the Abrahamic blessing. God told Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And in you and in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So that was ultimately fulfilled through 
Jesus, who was called the seed of Abraham. Well, Paul understood that mystery, and he made it known. And finally, all that segregational kind of wall between Jew and Gentile fell, and the early church discovered that there was one body, and it was made up of neither Jew nor Gentile, but we were all one in Christ, equally saved, equally washed in the blood, and equally a part of the church of the firstborn. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Paul is talking about marriage and how Adam and Eve came together in the beginning and how God made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Wow, so it's compared to marriage, the union of a man and a woman where they become one flesh. But Paul takes it a step further and says, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit. No wonder, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because in this passage, Paul said, he who loves his wife loves himself. And if Jesus loves the bride, he's loving himself in a righteous kind of way because we are part of him. We're his body as well as being his bride. What a mystery. Next, (laughs) 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 unveils a mystery that people have struggled with ever since. Paul said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, and received up into glory. Believed on in the world and received up into glory. Think of that. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That was God in a human body. That was not just a prophet like the Muslims teach. That was not just a self-realized individual like the New Agers teach. That was God manifested in the flesh. Wow, what a mystery that Jesus, though he was the Son of God, was still God manifested in the flesh. Because the mystery of all mysteries, and Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness, is the way the Godhead is made up, according to biblical revelation. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that all have interrelationships, and yet these three are one God. The human mind cannot comprehend that. It has to come by revelation. It has to come by revelation. Now, time would fail me to talk about the other mysteries. You should go to 1 Corinthians 14, 2, that talks about the mystery of speaking in tongues. What a wonderful gift. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak, an unknown tongue does not speak unto men, but unto God. For no one understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. That's not talking about tongues like they had on Pentecost where they preached the gospel in known languages. That's talking about speaking in tongues as a prayer language where you communicate mysteries that no one could understand but God himself. Think of that. And then 
In Romans 11.25, you have the mystery that blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then this revelation of the Messiahship of Jesus is going to spread to the Jewish people. And that's already been happening for the last 40 or 50 years. It's been happening in a miraculous way. Really, the natural parallels are spiritual. And when Israel became a restored nation, May 14, 1948, from that point forward, the revelation of the Messiahship of Jesus in a very intense way started being revealed to Jewish people worldwide. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Then there's the mystery of lawlessness, the coming of the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8. Then the mystery of Babylon, the great whore, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Who is this mystery Babylon? Revelation 17, verse 5. There's much that could be preached on all of this, but the greatest mystery I can finalize this program with is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, and I've already referenced it. Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and they say a twinkling of an eye takes about one one-hundredth of a second. A wink takes one-tenth of a second, but a twinkle takes one one-hundredth of a second. That's how quick, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And that's when, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the mystery of God will be finished. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. The mystery of his will is that he's taken it all back. The enemy stole it, but he's taken it back. And in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, it says, In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be finished. All these mysteries demand our attention. And I urge you to go through this episode again, write down these scripture references, read them, ponder them prayerfully, and let God speak them because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. If you're a child of God, that's part of your inheritance. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.